Happy New Year, Sam. Happy Happy New Year, Doctor Sam. Did you? Uh, you've you've just you've just returned home from a trip. I have. Um, yes. Did you Did you celebrate uh, the New Year's? Do you have a, Are you a big like New Year's Eve party kind of guy? Or are you like it's ten o'clock? Let me go to bed. Listen, I I stayed up until until the New Year was rung in in Dallas, Texas. I watched the drone show live on TV, uh, which was very music centric. So if you were curious about the different music genres from the 1920s until now, uh, that was the drone show for you to watch. Uh, I saw, you know, oh, you saw it. Well, there you go. You got to see the, the wonders uh, of the Dallas new year. Um, you know, um, I like to stay up till new year's. I like to, you know, have a little, little sip of champagne at midnight, uh, but mostly, you know, it's just you know hanging out with family, playing games. That's my New Year's. Yeah, we you? used we used to be big when we were younger and had no children. We used to like do a big dinner party, and our friends are big cooks, and we're big cooks, and and my wife and I would do like like a twelve course tasting menu for like. 20 people, 15 people. It was crazy. Um, but we don't, we can't do that anymore. We haven't done that since we had kids, uh, really. But the thing that we, we, we learned when we moved out to Colorado, right? We're on mountain time, as you know. And so the new year hits in New York, right? In Times Square, two hours earlier. And we learned that when you're, when you're trying to watch the ball drop, I mean, you're watching the, the Dick Clark rocking New Year's Eve, whatever it is. With Ryan um, Seacrest. With Ryan Seacrest, because Dick Clark is no longer with us. Um, it cuts away, like, right as the ball's about to drop, it cuts to, like, the local news. Because they want to <laughs> force you to watch, you know, like, it's it's a tape delay, I think, you watch, like, at right. actual Colorado uh, midnight, which is, you know, the last thing I want to do is watch the news. Um, ever especially leading into 2024. Um, but so we were trying to figure out how that we, we tried using a VPN to like get around it and that like the VPN I can, I can, you know, I shouldn't admit this, but I can watch out of market NFL games with a VPN. Whoa, whoa. I can't watch. I cannot watch out of market new year's Eve celebrations, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, which is outrageous. But we, we, we ultimately went to CNN because there's no local CNN broadcast. So we we're able to watch the ball drop on CNN. And that's when we saw the the Dallas, uh, the show, which was cool. But we ultimately wound up at the CW. Um, and the CW has an incredible New Year's show. They've got these two hosts that no one's ever heard of. No one cares about. They're so bad. It's funny. And the whole time they were just like teasing us with nine, with like a, a performance of the boy band 98 degrees, but we couldn't, my wife and I couldn't <laughs> hang on. We wound up going to sleep at like 11. I think uh, I went to sleep at like 1130. It was like, it was like so close to being midnight, but I was like, I just can't. So we went to sleep, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're, we're in a new year, right? Uh, it's, it's an exciting year. Uh, it's an election year, which we're going to do everything we can to, not think about or talk about but uh are you like a, are you like a new year's resolution kind of uh, guy I'm, or i'm trying have you, been to be... to the, have you been to the gym every day since the year started no i don't make those sorts of resolutions because i think everybody knows that those don't stick but i try and do set some like again you can call these resolutions you can call these goals i like goals just because i'm just you know that works better for me. And I just try to think, you know, how would I like my life to improve this year and less about what are the expectations on how my life should improve and be like, here are the things that I've been meaning to get to. And like, let's, let's set a goal of how I'm actually going to do that this year. So, you know, is that different from a new year's new year's resolution? Probably not, but um, I have a few for myself this year. Uh, what about you? Are you a new year's resolution sort of person? I used to be, I, I'm a big uh, I I I like I like to to dream big and then under deliver. That's sort of my my trademark. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the one I'm I'm focusing on this year. I do I do a lot of metric tracking. I track like everything I do every day in spreadsheets 
and I've done it for years. Um, but I've really tried to pick up my book reading. Um, <laughs> I didn't read, a, I didn't read a ton. I used to read a lot as a kid. I didn't read a ton ironically when I was in college or graduate school. Um, but I, I guess I've got, typical. I guess I've got more, you, you, I mean, people are like, I want to go to graduate school for humanities. So, cause I just want to read books and you're like, well, sorry, fella. We don't, I mean, in some, I in mean, some fields. Yeah. You get your wish, but it's, it's usually very long, very dry books about yeah. other books. And, yeah. books uh, you spend books. more time, you spend more time reading the books about books than the actual book itself. The only uh, thing worse than a little bit than, sad. The only thing worse than a book about books is a podcast about books. Um, or wait, we, no. we're sorry, we're sorry, listeners. <laughs> sorry. No, my my my, I read seventy eight books last year. Wow. And I was hoping to hit eighty. I didn't. Um. So that's that's the one I'm you know targeting it on, and that's a combination of you know fiction, nonfiction, academic, non-academic stuff like that. So. That's impressive. That's an impressive. That's an impressive list. Uh, my wife's a big book reader. I think she read eighty-five books last last nice. year in twenty twenty-three. I think I probably hit ten, uh, and five of those were Percy Jackson. I was gonna say five <laughs> of them. <Yeah. laughs> um, but you know, listen, I'm I'm you know I'm still recovering from my graduate school days, and you know, slowly but surely trying to 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 read more. Uh, but you know trying not to beat myself up about it just trying to do a little bit better and just you know read uh what sounds really good to me you know and that's been that's fun it's fun to read a book that you enjoy and you know for all you people who want to read books i think the best advice i've gotten from book readers is if you don't like the book you don't have to finish it and you're not you're not married to finishing the book if you start it uh, so if you find yourself starting a reading habit this year and you really don't like the book that you've picked, drop that book and pick up another book. Um, that's the advice I get from from book readers. And that's how some people read lots and lots of books. They read books that they really, really want to read. Um, so I do that, my... but I also, I, also have, I also have lots of guilt. So all the books I don't finish, I don't, I don't say, I am not going to read this. And I put it back on the bookshelf. It just sits with a bookmark, you know, a third of the way through it on my nightstand and taunts me. Um, Do you have a Moby Dick, uh, you know, your white whale of a book that you'll read before you die? I want to read Moby Dick. Um, but as far as, I, well, uh, I would love to read all of um, Edward Gibbons, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Okay. So I, I think, I think Gibbons, you know, I've read bits of Gibbon and there's, there's lots of abridgments of, of Gibbon, but right. I'd love to, I'd love to read the whole thing. The whole um, thing. Wow. Yeah. That'd be impressive. It's, it's long. It's multi, it's many volumes. It yes. Um, For me, you know, this one day, my goal is to actually read and 30% understand Ulysses. That's my, that's my white whale of a book. Uh, yes. that before I die, I want to have have finished Ulysses. I was given a beautiful copy by by a another graduate student who crashed on my couch for a conference, um, and it's sat on my bookshelf. And you know, I look at it periodically and say, one day, one day. Um, so who knows? Listeners, let us know. Do you want to do a Ulysses book club? Please don't let us do it. Ulysses book. Club. I was gonna say, I, I think know. that graduate student did not like your hospitality. Uh, that seems like a yeah backhanded uh hospitality gift that's that's a violation of zania to give your your host a copy of ulysses well dear listener we're excited for the new year this is the second year of the podcast um technically technically Se second month second year we're, we're the first episode went out december 2nd that we're recording this on january 3rd so we've been at it for over a month so that's you know yeah two months two years two sams two Sams, two hearts, and one Percy Jackson. We're excited for all that we have to bring you in the new year. Thank you all for listening. And let's jump into the episode. You the music. Hello and 
welcome to the All Roads Podcast, where we bow down before the altar of Janus, the two-faced god of beginnings and endings, and take a metaphorical ride up to the arch in St. Louis. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Sam Kindick. And I'm Sam Hahn. And today we're going to talk about the fourth episode in the new Percy Jackson and the Olympians TV show streaming on Disney Plus and Hulu. Sam, what did you think? It was really short. Uh, I was surprised at yeah. how short this episode was. You know, I sat down this morning and, you know, I had my coffee and I said, let's let's tee this one up. And then it was over far sooner than I ever expected. Not a lot happens in this episode. Uh, we've had a lot of episodes so far, like cover multiple chapters, but I don't really feel like we cover more than a chapter of the it's, first It's a book. little bit more than a chapter. A little it's more than like, first, one chapter. It's okay. like, yeah, because they, they don't get on the train until like halfway through one chapter, okay. I think. Okay. But of course, the whole train thing is different. Right. Right. What'd you think? I didn't like it. I mean, not that there wasn't, there wasn't much to like, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, after the third episode, after the Medusa episode, there was just so much to talk about with Medusa and, you know, they did really interesting things that, that, you know, diverge from the, the book a little bit, but we also had sort of some some deep questions to think about right how does are we reinterpreting the myth you know who controls the myth of medusa right the sort of right. uh, olympians versus the you know the quote unquote monsters um it 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 felt deep it it felt you know we had some some questions about how quickly it sort of ended and you know right. there were some things but you know i think it, it was sort of like a meaty episode there was like a lot a lot of stuff that happened right not so much here no no um yeah kind of where do you where do we want to jump in do we want to jump in actually and cover you know what happens in the episode chronologically or do we want to pick out specific instances uh i think for sure we should talk about how the chimera is depicted in this because yeah. i found that very not su surprising isn't right it's just it's wrong um and i was surprised how wrong it was um but where would you like to start i i mean the first thing that 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 jumped out to me right was that they were on the train which of course happens in the book but i i had sort of forgotten about um but it's exciting they're on this overnight train they're on an overnight amtrak train going from uh somewhere near Trenton, I guess. I mean, they're going from, from East to West. They're going to LA. Um, but I'm going on a train tonight. Oh, that's right. Tonight You're going I'm to going, Chicago. I'm going to Chicago on an overnight Amtrak train. Um, something I've always wanted to do. And, you know, this is the sort of, I'm going like the California Zephyr, which is, you know, you know, if it has like a, a cool name, it's legit. Um, it goes from Chicago to San Francisco. So I'm going on the uh, cheaper and less sexy portion of the trip, but apparently it's still, you know, there's still, you know, cool stuff you don't, you don't see. So uh, I'm looking for centaurs out the window and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Um, the stuff you can't see from, from like I 70, but yeah, I was just, I don't know. It felt very, they were on a train in a sleeper compartment. And I was like, that's, that's going to be me. I'm getting on the train in like eight hours. This feels cool. Uh, so, well, so that was neat. Well, take, take pictures and, and send them to me because, you know, I've, I've always wished that the U S had more train transportation, much like Europe and, and much of the mm -hmm. rest of the world. And, you know, I saw that they had these beautiful seats just like set up against a beautiful window where you can just sit and watch the countryside go by. And I thought, wow, That'd be nice. So send me pictures because uh, I'd love to see your trip. Yeah, I I think they're on a we're on a, I mean an old train. I'm not sure which line that would be. Um, I was gonna look this up, but then I didn't. Um, so shame on me. But yeah, I mean the like the 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 Zephyr that goes you know through the Rockies. It's got this big observation car. There are like two floors, and it's big glass domed uh 
ceiling. And so when you, when you go on that route, apparently you got to, you know, stake out that, that seat real, mm. real early, but it's really, um, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. I'll take some pictures. I'll, you know, if I see centaurs, um, we'll, we'll put them up on the website, um, which should be coming soon. Yeah. But yeah, so that, I mean, that was, that was, ex- I, I turned it on and I was like, this is going to be a good episode. This is really exciting. And, the, and I, then... I think there are, I think there are some redeeming things to this episode that maybe maybe I can I'll vouch for this episode a little bit. All right, yeah, let's hear it. Um, one thing I really liked, um, I feel like they are working very hard to establish, um, the difficult relationship that Percy has with his dad. I think they are working very hard to make Percy, um, question the Olympians a lot. Um, in these episodes, which again is, is something that I wanted a lot more of from the books, and I feel like we are being given that more consistently in the TV show. Now, of course, at the end of this episode, when he falls into the Mississippi, um, there is a little bit of like your dad's watching, he's proud, so it'll be interesting to see how Percy reacts to you know this revelation that a he can breathe underwater and b his dad is kind of watching out for him, protecting him sort of, sort of situation. So I'll, you know, we'll see, we'll see if that changes Percy's, uh, you know, opinion on the gods and his dad in future episodes. But I did like that. I also like that they address Annabeth's um, birth um, kind of from the start, which is something that we talked a lot about, you know, Sam, I know that you're not particularly fond with the solution that Rick Riordan comes up with to explain mm-hmm. how a virgin goddess has um, has a daughter, um, but um, at least they address it a little bit earlier so that um, those people who had these critiques uh, can't run to Reddit and you know attack the TV show too early on. Um, I also thought, so uh, Echidna we meet in this episode and her offspring, the Chimera, um, and I thought that Suzanne Cryer is the actress who plays Echidna. I thought she was very good. She's very scary. She's very intense. I enjoyed her performance a ton. I thought as an Echidna, um, she was very scary. Um, so I'll give I'll give her props. Um, did you watch? A, did you watch Silicon Valley? Have you seen? That I did. Show? I have yeah. seen Silicon Valley. Um, so I've enjoyed her work in the past. Um, and anyway, I, I enjoyed seeing her hair. I thought she did a great job. Um, I think that's kind of the end of my compliments uh, <laughs> uh, of this episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so there's a couple of things you said there that I want to piggyback on or sort of engage with. Um, the first being, yeah, the the explanation of Annabeth's birth, which, of course, I mean, you know how I feel. Yeah. Um, it's... I mean, it's just, it, it, it just, you, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words here. It's being a virgin goddess. Isn't, isn't just about having sex. Right. I mean, it's, it's about not being beholden to other people and not being a mother, right? right. Not being a mother, not being a wife, um, not having these sort of, you know, traditional societal connections, right? Having a, a, a virgin goddess sort of breaks traditional associations. But without getting too deep in that, um, I mean, it's like the literal opposite of what, we, I know we talk about the the uh, the Furies, right? The um, the third play in the, the the tragic trilogy, the Oresteia by Aeschylus, which was performed in Athens in 458? 454 something like somewhere around there um right but the the third the third uh installment of that trilogy uh that one of the heroes this guy named Orestes is on trial for for killing his mom Clytemnestra and Athena is overseeing the trial and Apollo who's sort of vouching for Orestes makes this speech about how women are not related to their children right because there there's no blood connection um, women are like the the soil that can receive a seed and grow a plant, but are, you know they're not blood; they're not genetically connected. Um, and so that's the relationship between mothers and children. And Athena's like, yeah, absolutely, because of course she doesn't have a mother, right? She's born from 
from Zeus's head from her father. Um, but not because of thought, right? Because of spermatogenesis, the fancy word for where semen is created. But Annabeth explains it as like, you know, it's like, it's like a thought. It's like, so that she can like be a part of her mother or something like this. And it's like the literal opposite of what we get in, you know, that speech in the Oresti, which I know is not everything. I just, I just don't, I just, that, you know, there are a lot of variations from these myths, but I don't know, this one just. And I think this is the third episode where we've, we've talked about, uh, the Oristia and uh, Athena's uh, argument at the trial. Um, this is why we started a change.org petition to change uh, the ancestry of Annabeth in the Percy Jackson series. So dear <laughs> listener of you. No, of course not. I love it. Um, I, love I clearly don't, I clearly don't feel as strongly about this as you do, but uh, the point is well taken. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for, the actual depiction of Athena that we get in Greek mythology or the Greeks incorrect understanding of how biology works. Um, But, but there you go. Um, This is an adaptation obviously. And, you know, we're going with the Athena who's really smart and less the Athena who is, um, you know, uh, the, the maiden goddess um, who defers to, to to Parthenos. Yeah. 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 Um, So, so there you go. So uh, that if- out of the way. Okay, yeah. yeah. So after, right, so Annabeth has that conversation when she's sitting next to Percy, and, you know, we're starting to get this closeness between the two of them, which is right. then hinted at in the trailer for the um, the fifth episode um, when they go into the tunnel of love in Denver. Meanwhile, Grover's just sitting across the table from them, and it's probably weird. But, um, but then I think we get the the i mean the episode's so short i was gonna say the next 10 minutes are like are good so a third of the episode um we we start to get a lot of interesting things the the first i really liked um annabeth explaining to percy right he's talking he, he has these anxieties about the quest is gonna fail and annabeth said that's not exactly what uh, the the prophecy said right um right. and then she gives us this nugget the harder you work to understand the harder it is to understand. And I thought that was like a really good way of sort of explaining these prophecies, right? Cause this is something we've talked about before too, right? I mean, it, it there's, there's only one prophecy that doesn't come true in, in, in Greek myth um, that Zeus will be overthrown by his child. Right. And, but you, you, there's people like Oedipus, right? That you know, the guy who has sex with his mom and mar- and kills his dad, um, and you know, these people always try to circumvent the prophecy, and it never works. So the idea that the more you sort of work to overcome it, or to, to work around it, or to worry about it, the harder it is to do it. I just thought that was really sort of eloquently put. So I like that a lot. <laughs> When you said, I thought that was really good. That was like a really good explanation. I thought you were going to say of what it feels like to go to graduate school. Um, mm-hmm. um, Cause you go to graduate school and you think you know something and then, then you actually show up and then you realize you actually know nothing and there's, you can never know anything uh, with certainty and you can only know a small fraction of what there is to know, which I suppose is, you know, also how prophecies work. It's all um, true. <laughs> yeah. No, I did. I did like that as well. Um, and I will say, I really like uh, the relationship that they're building between Annabeth and Percy. Like, I, I think it is, she is very cautious around him still. Like she is, she is slowly opening up into a kind of a, a really good complex relationship with, you know, the son of Poseidon. Um, so I think they are doing a really good job with the relationship. Grover, I feel like is a little bit, has far less to do at the moment. He's a little, was he in on. this episode? Was he like, even I there? Know. I, I miss, I missed him. Like Grover, Grover needs more, more screen time. Cause I really like Grover and they're not giving him a whole lot to do other than complain about being tired. And we do, you know, we do get the reference to pan. So um, I hope they explore that. I did think it was funny though, when uh, he's talking about pan and how pan has gone missing and, um, humans have started to chip away at nature in 
Pan's absence. I was like, chip away is a very generous way to describe how humans have treated the earth. Um, they're slowly chipping away at nature. I was like, in the book, I feel like it's a little harder where it's like, yeah, um, nature is basically lost and we're going to have to work really hard to restore it, uh, which I was kind of surprised, you know, in, you know, this year of our Lord, 2024, we're like, humans have started to do some bad stuff to the earth. I was like, come on, go a little bit harder. Um, chipping, chipping away. Chipping away. Um, but yeah, no, I think, yeah, it is a good description of, of how prophecy works. And I think it is helping us build this good relationship between Annabeth and, and Percy. Again, where she's a little bit of a, of a teacher, teacher's pet uh, to, to Percy, actually explaining it to him. I think there's a couple of times where she's like, I can't believe you just said that sort of thing. Like, mm-hmm. are you really this dumb? I'm like, okay, I, I, I enjoy this relationship. I think it's, I think it's fun. Yeah, right. He, he said something and she was like, are you trying to make it easy for me to make fun of you or something like something <laughs> like that? Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, the dynamic between the two of them is good. I like that. Um, but then, I mean, so right after they talk about the prophecy is when Echidna, right. I didn't entirely understand the thing where Echidna like was like shot out of the sky into the like side of the car. No, I didn't understand that either, but that's okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So we, yeah, we can move on. Right. But, but the kidneys in the car. It, to me, it's a little bit, I mean, again, we're both millennials. So Gen Z listeners, please forgive us for talking about Harry Potter, but I think there is a little bit of borrowing from the DNA of, you know, the train scene from the third Harry Potter with, you know, the, you know, the, um, um, uh, the Dementors, you know, descending on the train. I think mm-hmm. there's a, not, again, it's, you know, there's no end of this, like the happiness being seeped out, but I feel like there were some shots. I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me a little bit of that, of that third movie, for example. So I think they're burying a little bit of the DNA. So maybe, maybe that's where that's coming from is like, oh, there's this evil presence that's descending on the train. Um, but who knows? It was also, Yeah. And, and there's, you know, the, the interaction with the, with the, the Amtrak police, which made me nervous. I was like, when I got on this train tonight, there's just gonna be like police everywhere. And from what I've read, there's like no police or security, or, you know. So a kid that could very well be on the uh, the train with me. Um, you would only see inter- you'd only see the little dog though that that she yeah. has with her. So you'd yeah. be fine. Yeah, not the demigod killer. Right. You'd be like that one family who's looking out their train car, being <laughs> yeah. like, "What is all that noise?" And it's all just a little <laughs> train dog. Ah, it's fine. Kids go back to your iPads. It's fine. No worries. No worries. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah. And, and there's, there's interesting things going on with the mist also in the train, right? I mean, there's, there's yeah. a sort of, you know, the, the cop walks over the police officer and he's very suspicious. And the assumption that was like, oh, he's a monster, but they're like, no, he's not. Um, he's just a police officer, mm-hmm. but, but they, they blame, right. The kids for all the destruction. But I think they realized at one point, you know, when the kids are in one direction and like uh, the chimera is coming from the other direction that like, there's something going on. Right. But I think, I think the the best part though, is that the conversation, right. When Echidna gets some time and she is right. She is, they've leaned into the mother, right. Echidna is the mother of monsters. Um, right. She has, she you know, has lots of kids with, with Typhon. And so we get this m- overly sweet motherly but also cold figure she's like she's like the mom who's like prepping her kids to go to the ivy leagues like she's like oh i'm a mom but like they're gonna fend for themselves and they're gonna take down whoever they need to to get where they yeah. need to go sort of thing which is kind of scary uh which they're i like monsters. a lot yeah. yeah and 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 so there's a there's a couple good i mean i love that she says this has always been a family story yeah, which is which is true, right? I mean, this is something that mm-hmm. I think hasn't been fully addressed in the book. We've we've sort of danced around it a little bit, but like, I mean, all these gods are related, right? They're right. all this, you know. It, it it's not like here's one family versus it's like they're all one family, right? And you know, trying to figure out the relationship between any two gods or demigods is impossible because like Zeus is the father of like half of the other Olympians and. You know they're they're all connected, and so it's I think hammering that home is good, right? That this right. is it's not, 
I mean, it is an intergenerational thing. It isn't us versus them. It's very much like they're the, the, the demigods. There are the Olympians. And then there's like these older primordial forces, but they're all family, right? It's, it's right. all, you know, and, and I think you kind of lose sight of that. Um, so I really like that. And then of course we have, and I don't think this was in the book at all, but and we've seen this elsewhere in the the TV show, these sort of, we're getting the other side of the story, right? We got Medusa last time saying, listen, mm-hmm. you know, I was mm-hmm. a victim. Um, I'm not a monster. And Annabeth came right back at her from the perspective of the Olympians that yes, you are right. It's not a gift. It's a curse. Um, but now we've got Echidna saying, you know, and she said that the demigod is a more dangerous creature, disruptive, violent. If I exist for any reason, it is to stand in the way of monsters like you, right? So right. we've we've turned the tables, right? Who is the monster? Which goes back to what, you know, kind of Sally said to young Percy in that first episode, right? Now everybody who looks like a hero is a hero. Now everybody looks like a monster is a monster. Which again, like we've, we've struggled to see a little bit, like actually monsters not actually being monsters in this series so far. But again, we are playing with this idea. Um, and I think, yeah, it is being reinforced. Who are the true monsters here? Um, and yeah, I, I think I, I I agree with you that I like that they are reinforcing this over and over and not letting you forget that everybody's related to everybody here. Um, and again, everybody's kind of petty, which they also kind of hint at at the trailer for the next one. They're going to dive a little bit more into the pettiness of the Olympians, right? Oh, your mom is mad at you, Annabeth, because you didn't stop Percy sending the head of Medusa to Olympus. So she gets to enter the temple because maybe you'd need to be taught a lesson a little bit, right? Um, it is, you know, Again, so far, we haven't got, get, been given much to, you know, much in the pro column for the Olympians, which I like a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, because if you, I mean, we're so, because the Greeks and then sort of by extension, the Romans were so, you know, the way that they saw the gods and thought of the gods, you know, was of, you know, a, a status quo of stability, right? There was right. no, there was no change. Right. There was there's all these different generational shifts before you got to the Olympians. And that's things how things are. That's how they're always going to be. Um, and so everything we 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 read when we read Greek mythology, um, and the, the sort of perspective that the the humans and divine figures in Greek literature takes is always from the perspective of the Olympians, right? Right. And so you look at the story of um, you know, Oranos, right? You know, Oranos. Um, you know, pushes all his kids back in, and then Kronos uses the scythe to castrate him. Um, we look at the story of Kronos, and Kronos devours all of his children until he's tricked and then overthrown by Zeus. But if you flip the table, right? If you if you look at it from the other direction, you know, it's just a an older, more powerful, more you know, worldly entity, just sort of like putting these smaller puny things in their places and here they come right back at us right they're overthrowing us right they're the problems they're again dis- disruptive disruptive right. and violent um are the way that uh echidna describes demigods which also made me think of the the ages of man right the sort of sure um the degradation over time um, which we talked about in in episode three i think um so i think they're they're making this conflict more complicated than it is in the book. I mean, in the book, it's pretty black and white. There's good and there's bad. Um, right. And we don't get the perspective of the um, the non-Olympians. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. What'd you think of the St. Louis Arch being a temple to Athena? Is that, I was just flipping through my book. Is it is it pitched as a temple to Athena in the book? Do you remember? That's a good question. I I did not recall that being the case, but I, I may not be remembering that um, correctly. I, I thought it was interesting too. Like it is an interesting like critique. They critique the narrative that's built up around the arch 
um, a bit, which I thought was interesting because presumably they get, you know, permission to shoot there and whatnot. And they, they kind of take some shots at the, you know, displays, you know, they have a very, you know, non-subtle, you know, Rover with the backdrop of manifest destiny, you know, written kind of in the background, you know, and this is more of, you know, talking about the destruction of nature and obviously, um, you know, the the terrible treatments of the Native Americans at the hand of, you know, the U.S. Um, I think they're kind of, you know, kind of mixing those two things together in, in the show. Um, uh, but, but I thought it was kind of interesting that they got permission and they're kind of slamming the the arch and its, uh, its contents uh, for that. So I don't know, maybe the arch is trying to change things and is okay if... Um, you know, they're going to revamp their exhibits to be a little, little more uh, thoughtful um, and, and inclusive nowadays. But um, I, I thought it was interesting because I, you know, I don't know, maybe I should think of the arch as a, you know, an architectural wonder. Um, I've only ever seen it from a distance though. I grew up in Missouri, but I never, I never actually went into the arch. I've only, you know, seen it from far away. Um, it doesn't really strike me as like the most uh, Athena sort of structure, but um, I feel like they made a case for it. You know, oh, it's supported by math. It's earthquake proof. If that's all true, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I don't know how many earthquakes are out in St. Louis, but there you go. Yeah, well, I um, I lived in St. Louis for a couple of years, and so I, I I'm familiar with the arch. I only went up in it once, right right before we moved. It was kind of like, all right, we should probably go do this now um, <laughs> before we leave. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I was just flipping through the book, and in the book, it's not a temple to Athena, right? They need the temple to Athena in the show because Percy's been stung, right, by the right. the chimera. Um, he doesn't get stung until after because the, the confrontation with Echidna is in the arch in the book. Um, right. And so they get off the train, and Annabeth says, let's go to the arch. And they say, why? And she said, sightseeing, right? And for her, it's just about the architecture, um, right. which is interesting. But you know it, it's interesting because in the 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 movie, the first movie, they've replaced the arch with the um, the Parthenon in Nashville, right. right? And so that like that like was a temple to Athena, and so I wonder if this was sort of you know the the fact that they huh. make it a temple of Athena, which it's not in the book, is maybe a response. You know, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, right? The sort of when one thing responds to another thing, which is responding to another thing. Um, I wonder if that's going on here. But it's interesting, and I do buy it, I guess, as a temple to Athena. It seems more like a temple to Zeus because it's up in the sky. Um, but I had the same reaction that you had with the sort of reinterpreting what the monument stood for. And I think it's, an, it's, it's a question that's probably beyond our purview and, and probably our depth, but, but both of our wives work in museums. Um, mm. And so I, you know, I have in my notes, can monuments have different interpretations? And of course the answer is yes. I mean, just like a, a, a text or um, an event can have different interpretations and mean different things to different people. Um, but to, to totally take the, the monument, which is, I mean, it's the gateway to the West. Right. It's is, an archway you know, uh, appropriate for, for Janus here at the start of the new year uh, and opening. Um, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it is a representation of manifest destiny, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's wide open. No one's out here. Uh, and surprise, there are lots of people actually out here. Um, and we treated them terribly, you know, um, you know, you know, I, I think a lot of, you know, my, my wife has worked with a lot of, you know, native communities trying to tell their stories, you know, out here in Colorado. Um, there were many native tribes, you know, um, three primary, you know, the Arapaho, the Cheyenne and the Utes. Uh, were kind of the the three kind of main ones out here, but there were I think hundreds of tribes out in Colorado, um, you know, who who ca called this land home, um, and yeah, it's it is hard to reinterpret the arch as anything other than that. And for Annabeth to say, well, it's a monument to math, uh, kind of feels dumb, bad, wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 kind of the third iteration, right? Because right. as initially planned, right, it was a celebration of manifest destiny, and it was a celebration of you know the 
the European push West. Right. And then with the exhibit we get in the TV show, it's clear that there has been a strong attempt by the national park service, right? Cause it's a national um, park, um, which I didn't realize until I moved to St. Louis. Oh, um, I did not know that either. Yeah. And obviously they're trying to do some resuscitation and say, you know, obviously people were displaced and it was not always, you know, good. And Kumbaya was not sung by all. Um, so there is an attempt in the arch. What I remember is a giant stagecoach in at least two stores, um, gift shops, um, <laughs> when I was there. Um, but there is this attempt to sort of, you know, say, well, let's, let's also remember the indigenous populations. And now Annabeth is like, but forget that. I mean, it, it's neither of those. Things. Right. Right. Which, yeah. which it also makes you wonder sort of, you know, it, and, and maybe this is touched on in other um, books in this sort of world. Um, but I mean, that Olympus keeps moving. The gods keep moving west. It's generally west. Though there's not some, you know, it, it's in Europe. Um, it's in it's in France. It's in Germany. It's in uh, England. I think it's in probably it, uh, you know, Florence or something. And then finally, Olympus moves to New York. But like, what is that? How does the the world in which there are these gods, um, and there may or may not be Christian God? Um, there's a reference again to Jesus in the second right. movie, right? Um, but like, where does that fit in with like other world history, right? I mean, how does yeah. that fit in with the fact that you know before Olympus moved to North America, there were European settlers in North America. Um, you know, killing indigenous peoples. I mean, what what's going right. on in Asia? What's going on in in, in Africa? Um, maybe this is addressed yeah. in other books. I don't know, but it's you know maybe it's one of those things where the the more you ask questions, the sort of less it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe you know. Yeah, it is interesting too. I mean, I think a question that I have for this show moving on. You know, I don't want to give them time, but like it, it you know. Annabeth is a black girl in this TV show. And is there going to be any wrestling with race in this TV show? Um, I think it's also interesting to know that um, she is a daughter of Athena because there is this kind of um, training, you know, the black Athena was a, you know, a kind of theory in the, I don't know, seventies or eighties famous book. Maybe it's even earlier than that. I'm um, apologies listener, uh, but there is this kind of tradition of, you know, thinking about Athena as a black woman, um, you know, from Africa, Egypt, like um, I, I'm not as familiar with this, with this um, research. So I apologize listener, but there is this engagement with race and Athena um, in the scholarship by some people um, a little bit, uh, a little bit ago. And I am curious, are they actually going to engage with that in the TV show? And it is a little bit weird for, um, you know, this, this black girl daughter of Athena to say none of this history stuff matters like the the treatment of of these people by the u.s uh, is kind of irrelevant to this monument um feels odd to me and you know in some ways it makes me nervous about how they might try and broach that topic in the future but you know we'll see we'll see um you know want to give them benefit of doubt and not prejudge before we actually see anything but you know didn't love that scene um in the arch um all that much yeah i mean it's um, I mean, it's not something we've we've talked about, but I mean, it is definitely a, a racially diverse cast, which is fantastic. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it you know, there are these. And I think it's another one that seems the more you sort of prod at this world and ask these questions, um, you know, there's not there's not always compelling answers um, as to how anything works or whether race is going to become an issue, um, or or what. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it was a surprising scene to just sort of dismiss that, um, that, that bit in the arch. Yeah. What about the top of the arch? I mean, you, you mentioned yeah. you, you, you had problems with the chimera. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, what's up with its tail or not seeing the tail? Did that not bother you? I don't know. We kind of get a scaly lion with goat horns. Um, not really the chimera right when i think of chimera i think lion i think 
there's also a goat and there's also a snake or yeah. like a dragon, you know, and it's kind of a weird combination of those three. It's got three heads in different places and we kind of get mostly lion goat horns and then like scaly body like a snake and then it also you know breathes fire and kind of has i guess a cobra sort of or like a yeah lizard like it was like a dilophosaurus from uh jurassic park the little the the venom spitters that kill uh yeah dennis nedry (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah. that's what i thought about um yeah i mean it's i don't know it's also where did the spikes go that's my question too is like they're like it's got stinger which again is more manticore in my mind yeah like when i think stinger i think manticore but then it's like you see the thing and i'm like where's this tail with the spiky things i don't know it is like a weird yeah i um, think i think the tail was just like reptilian i mean yeah you're right that in some depictions the tail like is a snake like so that the end of the tail is the 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 head of a snake right and there's like a goat just like like the head of a goat just like attached to the back somewhere right so i think you change it because it's like kind of stupid looking um (laughs) i mean like lion scary snake super scary goat goat less scary like scariest oh (laughs) yeah wait oops um Better, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, again, this is a critique we had of the second movie was like, what is the beast in the you know Sea of Monsters movie uh, that we watched and we'll be releasing an episode shortly uh, on? Um, but again, the monster in that, we were like, what is this beast? It's kind of, it's an amalgam of different things, but that it just kind of is nothing. And I kind of felt this way. I was just like, it's not all that like they do a lot of like hiding the beast. Like you don't see it. Like you see the tail and you kind of like see it moving. And then when you actually confront it, you're like, that's it. It's just kind of a scaly lion with horns Um, that, you know, I mean, listen, I would hate that um, if I ran into it, but in terms of like the scariest thing that let's not, let's not, let's not, let's not downplay uh, confronting that monster. Right. But it's like it, it felt like they were like, oh, like we're hiding it. And I was like, oh, what are they what have they done to this beast? Have they changed the beast? And it was just like it was just wasn't that scary, like in a TV show sense. Like, Did they call it Chimera in the TV show? I think they did. I think I think because when I mean, she's like book, calming this, it down. Yeah. In the book, there's a whole thing that they're like. She's like, oh, Chimera. And well, first she calls it the dog Sonny. And they're like, did you just say that like that dog was your son? Which plays into the whole Echidna thing. Right. Um, but this is like in the TV show, it's and then there's a play Chihuahua, Chimera. Um, but so there's like an there's like an uh, uh an audio mist as well that you can mishear things, which sure. is interesting. But in the in the TV show, right, it's it's obviously a young chimera so if echidna is the the mother of monsters i mean could there be like non-canonical monsters or variations i mean is there only one chimera or is um so i don't know yeah i don't know just weird yeah Um, how come it wasn't defeated i mean sometimes when you like get anywhere close to something with like a sword or a dagger, right? We saw Annabeth's dagger again. I know you like yeah. the dagger. Um, how come it, like, sometimes they just, like, dis- disintegrate. Sometimes they don't. Um, the Minotaur the got TV... nicked. This guy got, like, slapped a couple times, stabbed a couple times. I think they're they're trying to make a more mortal wounds is, like, the thing that defeats these, yeah. these creatures. I think in the TV show, it's less, like, if you get him, you know, it's less one shot, one kill. It's more, like, actually, you gotta actually do some real meaningful damage um with your with your swords so i think which i think makes it a little bit more entertaining to watch um so i think i think you actually have to hit the thing really good to actually make it disintegrate uh in the tv show so that's unclear i mean yeah if i was percy i'd be like asking more questions about like the logistics of slaying these these monsters but yeah um but then he falls through, right? I mean, there's the 
right? The arch is destroyed. So they filmed in the arch, I think. Um, the the elevator going up to the arch is very distinctive. It's like a little cosmic egg. It's kind yeah. of cool. Um, but they they not only sort of trash the museum in the basement, they then blow a hole in it, right? Which I mean, that's in the book. Um, and then Percy falls through to into the Mississippi. Which, you know, just like in the book, there's lots of mention about how dirty it is. Um, yeah. you know, or the book mentions it. We get it in the, the TV show. It reminded me, by the way, of the movie Cliffhanger. When Percy's just like hanging on, like the, sh- I guess there's only so many ways you can like shoot somebody dangling from something, but just remind me of the movie Cliffhanger. Um, oh, I yeah, always think go- of, I always think of, I think it's the PBS show Between the Lions. They had a segment called Cliffhanger Hanging from a Cliff. And that's why it's called cliffhanger. That's always what I think of whenever I see someone hanging uh, like that. I think of between the lines uh, from PBS. So, so thank you. There you go. Thank you. U S government for that one. <laughs> um, also for Amtrak. Um, so he falls in the Mississippi. Right? And then I did you like that last scene? I mean, there's, again, as you mentioned at the, the top of the show, there's this thing with Percy and his dad. And did, what did you think about that underwater scene? One, I hate it because one of my great fears is drowning and, you know, getting your foot stuck in something. And I always grew up around, you know, I grew up in Missouri around all, you know, lakes and whatnot. And it's like, got to be careful going down because you can get stuck on stuff in the bottom and you can't see because uh, it's so filthy. So you could just get stuck and drown and no one would know. So that is that was always a fear of mine growing up. So like when he has that moment, I'm like, I hate this because uh I had a fear of this as a child and, you know, still do as an adult. Um, I didn't, we don't really see like the Nereid like coming up to him. It's like, I don't know. It looked like a weird jellyfish or something. Yeah, it did. Know. So that was, yeah, that was weird. Um, I thought it was interesting. And in, in the, the episode right starts with Percy learning how to swim. He, he yeah. doesn't want to swim. And Sally's like, you got to do it. I'm not going to always be here. I thought that was interesting paired with the fact that Percy's panicking because he's, he doesn't know he can breathe underwater. Right. Right. And and that's such a strong contrast to the opening scene of the first movie where he's in the pool, swimming pool, just like chilling underwater and Grover's like a stopwatch. And he's like, you know, five minutes or whatever. Um, right. He clearly, is is comfortable with water in the movie he knows he can be underwater but in the tv show it's clear that he's had a sort of a difficult relationship with water even as a child Um, he doesn't know he can breathe underwater he doesn't know who he is he's still trying to figure out his powers um Mm -hmm. so i thought that was just interesting that it wasn't like you know even though you're the son of poseidon you have these innate uh, powers over water. It really only manifests probably for the first time when he pushes Nancy Boba Fett into the fountain, right? When he makes the toilet explode back. Uh, but of course he doesn't do those, you know, inte- he doesn't like cast a spell that he's prepared that morning from his wizard spell book, right? That's sort of just naturally, it's again, Percy, Harry Potter. It's like the the weird magic that happens around young wizards and they don't know what they're doing. But it, it it reframes Percy as a character, um, and again differentiates it from the movie, which is, which I thought was good. Yeah. And I yeah I mean obviously his relationship with the water is being paired with his relationship with his father. Like he has a difficult relationship with water, which is why he has a difficult relationship with his father. And now he learns how to breathe, and it's the moment when you know he's starting to be like maybe my dad doesn't suck again. It remains to be seen what actually happens to Percy after this moment, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm curious if in the next if in the next episode we'll we'll see Percy reap the sort of deleterious effects of inhaling the Mississippi River, um, because if you can breathe underwater, that doesn't mean that you can handle the scent sediment and all the trash that's in there. Right? Well, that's sure, like yeah. But also at the same time, it's going to cure his, you know, venomous, the venomous barb that got jabbed into him, which again, it's venomous, not poisonous. Just remember people, uh, 
poisonous as if you ingest it, right? Venom is is different. That's um, in the blood. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Come on, people. Um, read a book. On, writers, read, read a book. Uh, yeah. As we've talked about this, I feel like the thing that we've come to at the end is like, we're happy with some of the character development that's happened in this show and some of the reinforcing of overall themes, themes, but we don't like actually like any of really the plot points that happened in this episode. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag, but, um, but again, I think they are doing, they're setting this series up. Well, um, I think we continue to quibble with the specific, you know, depictions of these mythical creatures, these mythical moments, they sometimes drop the ball with exactly how these scenes play out, the actual plot points of the individual episodes. But I think like the overarching narrative of the show, uh, I think works is working well. And, you know, there are lots of things going on here. Obviously we have three different directors directing different moments in the show. So it is going to feel, I think probably somewhat disjointed just by the nature of there isn't a singular like um, director, you know, keeping the vision together right we have rick in the writer's room and as a producer um but again the kind of like individual like episodes of the television series aren't being kind of led um by the exact same person so i think there there is to be a a, a little bit lost um in that's that. a, so, i think that's a great point that's a great reminder that um you know there's i'm, I'm sure there's a single sort of vision but how that vision is sort of realized uh, might vary. So that's, yeah, that's, right. so we're, what, this was episode four. So we're not halfway through it. Is there anything, we know the next episode, right? I think that's the, uh, God this is the Denver episode. Burgers. Yep. Um, are you excited about that? Or are you, it seems like a lot is going to happen in this next episode. Um, again, maybe we're getting more glimpses for the the rest of the series maybe it's not necessarily just the next episode but it seems like we're going to do you know uh the water park and the ride of love we're going to meet aries it sounds like we're going to meet you know the the animals on their way to las vegas um it also seemed like maybe we're we're going to have i was unclear about the throne with like the golden stuff is this like the the hotel is this the lotus hotel maybe a, a glimpse i think of... i think that was like the uh that's that might be part of the the love oh, ride. the trap the trap because 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 uh thank you Hephaestus, yeah for for hera right he traps her in the throne which okay. is different than the net that he throws right. over aries and and uh, okay Africa, that must but... you're right i was curious what that was um but but uh okay so anyway, I, you know, I'm excited, but it seems like a lot's going to happen. You know, not a yeah. ton happened plot-wise in this one. Sounds like uh, that's not going to be the case. Because I think episode uh, six is we take a zebra to Vegas. Okay. Which I'm excited because I, I mean, we talked about this in the movie when we talked about the first movie. I love the Vegas scene. I love Grover like dancing. You know, so I'm 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 curious to see what they do with actual children um, in Las Vegas. Right. Um, right. It's no longer about like, is it going to be just about like taking shots of, um, you know, Milk. mysterious substances like, um, or what? Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about that. And I'm also, um, right. The, in the book, chapter 17 is we shop for waterbeds. I hope we get pro crusties, um, in the TV show. Cause I know that's, that's one of my favorite. Is that, myths. is that one of the episodes that they've named? I don't know. I don't, I don't oh, think okay. it's, I don't think it's named that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we got I wonder if Crusties yeah. at least a little bit. Yeah, I um, hope so. It's so I hope memorable. so too. That'd be fun. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's such a bizarre myth. It is a bizarre um, myth, and it's not super well known either until Rick Riordan put it into his book. Like, I feel yeah. like probably Procrustes could have been lost to time had Rick Riordan yeah. not not uh, resurrected his image. I mean, not really. I mean, he sucks, but uh, it is memorable. <laughs> Well, we've got we've got a lot to look forward to, and only you know I hope I hope the next four episodes are a little bit longer than yeah the the thirty two minutes or whatever this one was. Um, yeah. But yeah, I actually feel a little bit better about the episode after talking about it. I mean, yeah, there, me too. There, there was development. I mean, the most important things that happened were like conversations on a train, right? But uh, yeah, 
Well, any, uh, any final thoughts? I don't think so. I just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, we make this show for y'all and it feels great to have people listen and give feedback. We have two five-star reviews on Apple podcasts. And if you want to be the third, why don't you pop on over, leave us a five-star review and maybe even leave us a note. Uh, we love hearing from fans of the show. Um, you can always email us at allroadspod at gmail.com. Uh, we look forward to getting your feedback. And if you have any ideas for future episodes, if you have any comments, um, and if you have any critiques, send us our way. We read every email that you send. Um, and uh, we love hearing from y'all. Um, I think that's it. Uh, this has been Sam Hahn. And Dr. Sam Kindick. And if all roads lead to Rome, why not take a detour with us? Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.